Thank you, Pam. Uh, good morning, Sunridge and online guests. If uh, you're just joining us, uh, greet one another as we usually do with a holy, not a kiss, but maybe a holy chat comment. You might see people that you know uh, that are uh, dropping into our feed right now. Say hello to them. As, as Pam mentioned, we're uh, in the middle of a series, teaching series we've called uh, Half the Church. and. We, we took that title from a book of the same title written by Carolyn Custis James. It's on our resource list and we recommend that as an accompaniment to the things that we're talking about. Also, uh, we have uh, the scriptures that our board uh, researched uh, and looked at uh, for over three years, uh, just trying to come up with uh, you know, a conclusion to uh, what really prompted this whole series was that we recognized that there was a lack of clarity uh, when it came to women's roles at Sunridge, and that created some uh, degree of confusion and, um, and inequity uh, among our staff and the way we did things as a church. So we wanted to address that. And um, so I encourage you to check out our message from last week. That's where we started uh, in our conversation on this. We kind of retraced uh, where we've been and kind of what prompted this teaching series and some of the decisions that our board uh, made. Uh, and then also we'd spent a few moments just talking about this thought that often how we apply scripture is as important to, as important as how we interpret scripture. And we looked at a few examples, right, from the Bible, some of them uh, in our timeline, some of them uh, already decided in the past. Uh, for instance, we talked about um, how Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 that he says explicitly that women who come to church should wear a head covering and have long hair, and it's a shame for men to have uh, long hair. And so, you know, the question comes, is like, could, could I convince you that, that the next time you're in this building, if you're a woman, that you should be wearing a hat and certainly have long hair, and if you're a man with long hair, you should cut it. Uh, could I convince you that uh, we should go back to slavery? Because uh, as we looked at last week, there are explicit things that Paul and others say in the letters about slavery and indeed saying that a, a slave is obligated to, to obey his master even if the master's harsh. And certainly we wouldn't uh, say that today if someone came to counsel uh, upon that uh, matter. Uh, we looked at, you know, how the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament and in Proverbs, seems to, or it does, uh, you know, advocate for corporal punishment, and not just corporal punishment, but, you know, uh, severe beatings, and, you know, and in the case of an incorrigible son, even stoning to death. And course none of us would advocate for that today we talked about career women and how in my lifetime at least maybe your experience has been different but like that perspective of what Paul says in Titus uh, about uh, a woman should be a keeper at home that you know that the way we viewed that has changed so much and then uh, we even talked about uh, one of the problematic passages on this topic uh, in Paul's first letter in chapter 14 when he says that when women come into the church, they should be silent. And if they have any questions, they should ask their husbands. And, you know, in each of these cases, we've, 
You know, we've not brought those things forward, even, even the things that we think that we stand upon, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves and step back, we've, we've even modified those. Even the 1 Corinthians 14 passage, I don't think, I, I'm not aware of anybody that would advocate that we do that explicitly as Paul says. So all that to just roll up to say that, you know, we can't just like cherry pick our verses out of the Bible without giving them context and then also answering the question, is this something that applies to our world today? And, and, if, and if it does, like, is there a modification that needs to take place? And so, you know, where the Bible is clear and consistent, we're gonna continue to be so, but where there's variance or questions, is like, basically, we have work to do, and we have to uh, dig deeper into these things. And today, uh, that's one of those things. We're gonna talk about uh, original design. What is it? You know, what, what was God's original design for the relationship of women in the church and between men and women? And we know that we appropriate so much of who we are and how we think about virtually everything from the first two chapters in Genesis. And, you know, those first, first two chapters uh, in the creation story, the only, the only part of Scripture that we have that's pre-fall, that is before the fall of man and the consequences of sin. In Genesis 1:24, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, in the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, in the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. For most of you that are listening to that today or reading along with us, that's a very familiar passage. And um, basically God makes three statements about human beings, and they're up on the screen here. First of all, we bear the image of our creator. We are to go and flourish together, and we are to care for the earth and its creatures. And then he adds in chapter two that we're not to do this alone. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now it's important to note here that Adam is not physically alone. He has God, he is surrounded by all kinds of creatures and God's creation. But he's alone in two ways. First of all, he's, he has no peers. He has nobody that is in relationship with God along with him. And then he's also alone in his mission. That is, he has no partner to carry out the assignment that God has given him. So as the creation narrative continues, God acknowledges this. It's not a surprise to God. It's left there for us to see. 
And God blesses Adam, or the man, with what he needs most. And in chapter two, verse 18, again, we're gonna look at it. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so, if you know the creation story, God creates Eve, woman. And woman is man's helper suitable, or uh, suitable helper. You know, God could have used any phrase to describe the relationship that men and women have with one another. And we know that the word use in Scripture is really important as we gather ideas and, and gain our understanding of what a word or phrase may mean. And in the Hebrew, um, this phrase, helper suitable, is azer kenegdo. I know that that's part of your regular language every day. You're always talking about your azer kenegdo. But now at least you know a little bit of Hebrew. Um, and uh, in most English Bibles, the Azer is translated helper, and in Konegdo, in the NIV, is translated here suitable, but you might have an older version that says meet, and it might say help meet. Now, in some circles, the interpretation and application of this phrase coming from Genesis uh, is, it leads to the view that Woman is meant to be man's assistant, and she is relegated to be the mother of his children and the manager of his home. And by the way, that perspective leaves out 60% of the women in this country who are not married. Really, this, this narrative, is, it goes beyond a marriage relationship. It is talking about the, the nature of the relationship between men and women. But this one traditional view has given forth the belief that God has given primary roles and responsibilities to men and only secondary roles to women. And as I mentioned already, scripture must interpret scripture. So the use and meaning of words has a great bearing in how we understand those words and meanings in different contexts in the scripture. And as you will see as we go through our understanding of the use of this phrase, helper suitable, there's a much stronger and clearer vision uh, for women in God's kingdom today than what you might have previously understood. So first of all, there's the word konegdo. And konegdo uh, means man's match or complement. It literally means as in front of him, and it, but it could also mean beside him. We would use a phrase like, you know, She's the other half that makes me whole. That kind of captures the idea. But the point here is that the phrase is not used to describe a relationship that is of someone who's beneath you or behind you. So the azer that is a suitable helper, <clears throat> excuse me, is neither superior nor inferior to his partner or her partner. Then there's the use of azer, in the Old Testament, and as far as I can tell, there are 24 instances where this word azer or its derivative is used in your Old Testament. These are all listed on your note sheet, by the way. First of all, there, it refers to the woman in Genesis 2. We're just going to put these verses up. Uh, one verse we've already looked at in chapter 2, verse 18 of Genesis. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make an azer or helper suitable for him. 
And then again in verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable, suitable azer was found. Then also uh, this word azer is used of the nations who assist Israel, and those scriptures are in, uh, there's three instances of that in your Old Testament, and those are on your note sheet. And then last, there are 18 instances in the Old Testament where uh, Azer is used of God and as Israel's helper. I'm going to pull out just a few so that you can capture the imagery that is being brought forth here of the Azer in Deuteronomy 33:29. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper, or Azer, and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will trample down their high places. And then in Psalm 10:14, but you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper or azer of the fatherless. Then in Psalm 118:7, the Lord is with me. He is my azer. I will look in triumph upon my enemies. And then again in Psalm 121, verse one, I will lift up my eyes to the mountain, and where does my help, or where does my azer come from? So to summarize the use of azer in the Old Testament when not referring to Eve, azer is number one, to use, it is used to describe nations that are assisting Israel, and then, but mainly, it is used to describe God which is important. But not just God, but like there's an image that is attached to how this word is used when describing God as Israel's helper. He is a warrior who is wielding a sword. He is described as having the strength to overcome. He is a deliverer. He is one who stands side by side and sometimes in front of Israel in battle. Nowhere is Azer used in a subservient kind of idea? And this is one of the major factors that contributed to the board uh, really grappling with this issue and moving forward with a policy change that does not limit women. So, this is in your notes, so you can just follow along with us if you'd like, but I summarized everything that we've learned so far. The Azer in the Old Testament looks nothing like a mere assistant or one of lesser ability. Instead, our Azer is a rescuer, a warrior, partner, and co-worker. She is not a subordinate helper or a superior. And like the man, she is also God's creative masterpiece a work of genius and remarkable in her own right, for she too is fearfully and wonderfully made. Now let me ask you, isn't, isn't this borne out in your own experience in your place of work or in your community? Don't you know women who are tremendous supervisors, women who own businesses, who are CEOs, who work in the community, leading companies and leading others, even leading Little League in your community or soccer. 
And isn't it true that in our day and age, we've even seen women who are every bit as capable of communicating the word of God as men are. Think of women like Beth Moore and Lisa Tukurst and Priscilla Shire. Many of us have benefited from the teaching of these remarkably gifted women. I think about my own wife, Cindy, who definitely relies on me for protection in some ways and uh, is in every way my partner and helps me with things, but she's much stronger in certain areas of life than I will ever be. I think about my three daughters, April, Amber, and Aubrey, each of whom have families and children and they're fully leaning in to being moms, but they're also uh, at the top of their career in many ways, vocationally. They're educated, they're skilled, and they lead people in all different kinds of capacities. I think about our staff, the women on our staff, Pam, the Lisas, Owens, and Stuart, Teddy, Heather, Haley, Marla, Linda, Megan, all remarkable, remarkably gifted people. I think about the remarkable women leaders, volunteer leaders at Sunridge right now, Becca and Courtney and Julia and Becky and, and the Amys and April. Women of Sunridge, you are our Azer Connecto. For us to deny the expression of the gifts of women in their fullest capacity, or to deny God of their incredible usefulness is to deny the design of God. It is inconsistent with the Genesis account. And in some instances, the blocking of women's gifts is sinful. That's not to say that we're the same. We're not the same, which is what makes it so important that we have the female voice and female leadership in this church without man-made barriers. Now, so the question that arose for the board, and I'm sure for many who are listening to this talk today, is what happened? What, what happened to this blessed alliance that we see between men and women? What broke? Well, first of all, it was sin that gave us patriarchy. And when I use the word patriarchy, I'm talking about male rule. It's a system, system of power that denies the full empowerment to women and allows power and influence and authority to reside only in men so that women are excluded from that or limited. And we can see this in our history, in, in America's history and certainly uh, throughout the ages. Consider the Declaration of Independence. In that document that uh, is a a founding document for this country, it is stated that all men are created equal. But we know that their perspective of that at that time was definitely uh, misogynistic and racist because the authors that wrote it for the most part, had, they, they never thought that women or people that are black would be created equal. They weren't included in that. But None of us would ever go back to that thought. 
Every scholar will also tell you that the context of the Bible is it's, it's in a background of patriarchy. We see how women are treated in, in the Bible. Um, we see uh, how easily it was for a woman to be divorced and that they had no rights or property. In this country, uh, we've made lots of advances through that, through struggle in some places in the world. They're far, far behind where we are. But the question we have to ask about this is, is patriarchy, male rule, particularly as it's held, it withholds empowerment from women, is that a feature or is it a bug in the system? In other words, is this something that God has ordained or is it something that is the result or the consequence of sin? I think that the Genesis account indicates that it is the consequence of sin. In fact, the nature of all relationships changed because of sin. I mean, just start reading in the beginning of your Bible and you see how from the time that Adam and Eve fall and they reject God, relationships begin to unravel. Not just their relationship with God, but between one another. And how far do you have to read before Cain and Abel? Something happened in that moment that destroyed what God's intention was. And so that curse impacted every aspect of God's creation, including the relationship between men and women. And one of the consequences of sin and the curse was that men began to rule over women. In Genesis 3.16, we see, as a consequence of the fall, God says to the women, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. This is the first mention in the creation narrative of this power struggle between men and women. There is no struggle pre-fall. The struggle between men and women and empowerment came as the consequence of the curse. That men would rule over women. It was not God's design and it was not good. And we as believers today no longer have to live under the curse of sin. Because what was lost in Eden is regained in Jesus through the gospel. What was lost in Eden is regained through the gospel. You know, it was a few months ago this year where we talked, we were talking about what it means to be made whole. And we explored all the ways that sin is, has broken us. And this is one of those ways. Yet we also talked about how Jesus Christ came to reconcile these things to reconcile us with God and with one another and to remove the curse of sin and so that we can live in his kingdom under the freedom and the, uh, to be free from the curse upon us through sin. In, in Colossians 1.20, Paul writes of Jesus through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That is through Jesus, the consequences and the curse of sin are lifted. And we are called as the church, as the people of God, to live in that reality, to bring the kingdom of God, to restore 
what God originally designed the best we can in our day and time. For a few moments, just consider or observe the way Jesus dismantled patriarchy and he elevated women in his ministry. You know, we talk about the 12 disciples. They are the most well-known and they are certainly male, but there was a whole entourage that followed Jesus and they were also known as his disciples. And among them, there were many women. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, not just learning, which anybody could do, learn from Jesus, but she sat at the feet of Jesus in the position of a disciple among other men. And Jesus said that she chose the better thing. Consider Mary Magdalene, who gets more copy in the Gospels than many of the male disciples. Consider who was at the tomb, who, who was, whose hearts were most knit to what Jesus said. And consider who Jesus gave the first gospel message to, to go and speak of my resurrection. It was women. In a context, in a time, where a woman's word wasn't even worth anything in court, but yet the gospel is first announced by women. Consider how revolutionary that thought is. Consider what prompted the Apostle Paul to write to the first century church, church in Galatia in Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what Paul does here is he writes to these Galatian believers is he's, he's describing for them the elimination of categories that they, that they would have brought into the fellowship. And in particular, Galatia, if you're familiar with that, with that region, there was a strong influence of Judaizers who were bringing all these other rules to the gospel. And this was basically an ethnic and religious traditional kind of argument. And, and Paul is saying that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. This is not the argument that you should have. These are the you should stop thinking about yourselves in these categories. And then when he says slave or free, I, you know, it, we don't have record that that is a specific issue in Galatia, but certainly it is in uh, the small letter of Philemon, which we're going to look at, at the, uh, in the last teaching in this series, where Paul tells Philemon to take back a slave who escaped and likely stole from him, but not to take him back as a slave, but to take him back as a brother. Paul is dismantling these categories that we've thought of. He's saying that in the kingdom of God and in the church, there's a new way. We are not bound by these uh, categories that we separate ourselves with. And then also Paul mentions in, in this Galatian passage, male and female. And we know that that may not, I, we don't know that that was an issue here, but it certainly was in Ephesus and in Corinth, which uh, passages we're going to look at uh, when we talk about what about what Paul said in two weeks. 
So for too long in the church, what has been happening is we've been living under these categories that are part of our past. They're part of the consequences of sin. And Paul's making this point. Jesus dismantled it as well. And for too long in the church, men have been trying to be the image bearers of God, to go and to flourish and to rule the earth and care for its creatures alone. We've been doing it with half the church. And you know, the truth is that this church, Sunridge, and probably many churches, wouldn't survive a week without the great leadership and discipleship of women. The question is, will we fully recognize them as our equals? Will we, will we acknowledge that they work and serve in these roles? And God has gifted them remarkably. Will we serve alongside them as our co-laborers, as our fellow soldiers? That's the question. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I have to tell you that as they're coming up, this is, this is something that Sunridge had to grapple with. There are many churches, not just Sunridge, in global conversation, they are wrestling with this. And this is what brought this forward. We had to address this and to clarify it. Because so much is at stake. What's at stake? Our capacity to flourish with one another. Because if God has designed us to be co-workers, then how can we deny that in the community of faith called the church? We have been the beneficiaries over the years that I've been at Sunridge, which might be 30, I've kind of lost count, of tremendous leadership by women. They haven't always gotten the role, as we've mentioned, or the title. They haven't always gotten the pay. But they have been there. And we have flourished because of it. Why would we not want that to be fully expressed so that we can learn and we can be more of what God wants us to be? But also at stake is God's kingdom and our impact on the world. We have to ask ourselves, Sunridge Christian, what, what is the church gonna say to the world in the future? Are we gonna say to women, it's like to the women that are CEOs and great leaders and supervisors and remarkably talented and gifted, that's great that you do it out there in the world, but when you enter the doors here, you will be dominated by men. Is that the message we're going to bring to the world today? I think that that's going to affect the gospel. Why, why would we do this with one hand tied behind our back? Why would we do it with half the church or half the army when God has given us our Azer Connecto, women of Sunridge, and those of you that guess online, that's who you are. You have been gifted by God. And we don't want to put any barrier between what God has called you to do 
and what is there for you. Now, uh, thanks, Ben, for being up here. I know I'm taking a little long on this close, but I, I do want to say to those of you that are listening in and maybe Christian faith is new to you, you know, what, what we're describing here is something that God originally intended. And the gospel or the Bible, is a, it, is a, it is a story, it's a narrative of how God is reconciling the world after its brokenness, and that's what, that's what the church is. And so, you know, you can, you can initiate a relationship with God, you can step into faith by simply just stopping and confessing that, you know, you're broken and asking Christ to come and take control of your life. And part of what is gonna happen then is God's gonna make you a new creation and he's gonna begin to change you from the inside out. If you have more questions about that, you can uh, identify yourself in the chat and we'll follow up. But also we, we invite you to come and engage with us, to walk side by side with us and see what faith is like. Join us in some of the initiatives we're doing in this community for teachers and students and families. You have the opportunity in front of you to, to live and to test run faith. And this is a church that would welcome that and we invite you into it with us. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna worship together. God, we are so grateful for the remarkable women that you've placed in our lives, whether they're a wife or a daughter or a coworker or someone we serve alongside or someone that oversees us in this church or in our place of vocation. That is something that you gave us as a gift. And so we open ourselves to the original. And we, we those of us who are like wearing the, the scars and the, uh, the effects of the consequences of sin, we ask that you allow us to throw those chains off and live in a new way and to reimagine what life is like with, with our sisters and mothers and daughters who are called to be our Azer Connecto, our partners. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Sunridge. Thank you for listening.